Good morning, everybody. John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. The Word of God existed before the world began. The Word was shown to humankind through the oral communication of God, through the written communication of God, and through the physical presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Word of God, that phrase and all of the ideas surrounding that phrase, the Word of God, is a theme that is woven throughout the whole Bible from beginning to end. It's talked about in many ways. The Word of God accomplishes many things. And if you want to know God, if you want to be directed by God, if you want to live the most spiritually fulfilling life that you can live, then you and I need this Word of God. Today we continue in our series that we're calling From Old to New to You, and we are exploring biblical themes that start in the Old Testament and are traced all the way through the New Testament into our contemporary time, and today we explore this theme of the Word of God. And as we consider it, I want to set the stage at the very beginning by challenging you. What you believe about the Word of God will necessarily set your life down a certain path. The resolve that you have to follow the Word of God or not will set your life, your whole life, down one path or another or another or another. Because if you resolve to follow the Word of God or not, this will inform how you view the world. It will prioritize or help prioritize your decisions and how you make those decisions. And it will inform what becomes the foundation of your desires for all of life and your hope for the future. And so there's much at stake when we talk about and consider this word of God. I feel very strongly about that. Over the years, I've had the opportunity to talk and to teach on this topic in a variety of settings because it is, although seemingly elementary in its nature, one of the most neglected as it relates to what the Word of God is, how it functions, and what it means for you, for people all around the world. And so I've had, by God's grace, the opportunity to talk about it in colleges and seminaries in the United States and the United Kingdom, because the consequences of this, what you believe, the consequences of this topic are so very great for your life. And so it's been a struggle for me this week to think about 
the short amount of time that we have together to talk about this immense topic. And I hope and I pray that as we move through today and as we come to our conclusion at the end of the morning, that you will not only recognize words from God, but that you will begin to embrace or even firm up within you the fact that this word, this word from God can truly change your life and your eternity. As we begin to talk about the word of God, I want to make clear that we are talking about at least three elements of this concept of the word of God that come together. They are, number one, the audible words of God that we see in the Bible, the written word of God inspired by the Holy Spirit, and thirdly, the living or physical word of God, which is the person of Jesus Christ. And the first thing that we recognize that when we think about the word of God is that God's word is a form of revelation to us. The only reason why we know anything about God is that God chose to reveal himself to us. Have you ever thought about that? God didn't have to reveal himself to us. God could have set us on a path and in motion upon creation and never let us know anything about him. But God chooses to act in a way to make himself known. And he does so through his words. Deuteronomy chapter 4 God is displayed as the one true Lord and the prophet Moses is speaking to the people of Israel and he says to them in verse 33, did any people ever hear the voice of a God speaking out of the midst of fire as you have heard and still live? And again he says in verse 36, out of heaven he let you, he let you hear his voice that he might discipline you. And on earth he let you see his great fire. And you heard his words out of the midst of that fire. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 22, the Lord says to Moses, thus you shall say to the people of Israel, you have seen for yourselves that I have talked with you from heaven. God discloses he reveals who he is, and he does so through words. God speaks in a variety of different contexts. He speaks in what we call theophanies, and he speaks in dreams. A theophany is very simply a word that describes a visible manifestation of God. And we see that in the Old Testament again and again. And we see that God speaks in dreams. Genesis 15, 1. The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. God said, I am your shield. And your reward shall be very great. 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 5. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, ask what I shall give you. God speaks through these appearances. He speaks through dreams. He also speaks in the Old Testament through prophets or his messengers. Isaiah chapter 39, verses 5 and 6. Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear 
the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And we also see in the Bible, in the Old Testament, that God speaks even then, not just to have his word or his prophecies recorded for people to read later, but he also speaks by written form. In Exodus chapter 24 and Jeremiah chapter 36, God has the prophets write down his words for the people so that they would know it and be able to study it and it would be preserved for the generations that would come after them. And so God discloses who he is. He reveals himself to us, even though he doesn't have to, and he does so through his word. Now, when God speaks, we see a variety of things that happen in that context. In the Old Testament, we see that the word of God is seen as a way in which he establishes his relationship with his people. His word is not primarily directed to all people in a sort of general audience. God's word is primarily directed to his people. Now, that's not to say that, of course, God doesn't speak at times to people who aren't his people, but the overwhelming majority of the time he does. It's directed to people who have faith in him or those that he is going to call to faith in him. And it's interesting when you think about God's speech, God's speech distinguishes him from false gods. In Psalm 115.5, it says, they, being idols or false gods, have mouths, but they do not speak. They have eyes, but they do not see. Jeremiah 10.5 says, their idols are like scarecrows in a cucumber field, and they cannot speak. They have to be carried, for they cannot walk. Do not be afraid of them, for they cannot do evil. Neither is it in them to do good. When God speaks, he distinguishes himself from false gods. And when God speaks, his words accomplish something. If you were to tell your spouse, sweetheart, the lawn will be mowed today. I promise. You still need the accompanying action of going to the garage, getting the lawn mower, going into the yard, and actually cutting the grass. Your words do not accomplish the work. You need the physical accompanying action for the work to be done but not so with God. His words actually accomplish the work. God merely spoke, let there be light, and there was light. Creation began by the power of his word. Genesis 1.9 says that God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. 
There's no need for accompanying action. God's speech is the action. And it accomplishes what God intends it to do. And because the words from God are from God, they're authoritative in their nature. Now, everybody knows that words carry different amount of weight or authority depending upon who speaks them. When the principal of a school speaks to the students, it's received differently than when the classroom aide speaks to the students. When a doctor, a medical doctor, gives you a diagnosis for what's wrong, you receive that differently than you do your friend's medical opinion. When the President of the United States speaks, it carries a different level of power and authority and ability to accomplish things than perhaps one of our local politicians. And when God speaks, when God speaks, this is different than any other words that come from any other voices, that come from any other beings who have ever existed. Because if God is the sovereign Lord of the universe, if he is indeed faithful and good as he has displayed himself to be again and again and again, if he is all-knowing, and if he is inherently wise, then his words certainly mean more. They carry greater weight. They become the ultimate authority for anyone in this life. You know, one of the biggest problems that we have in our time today, in our culture today, is that we often don't rightly distinguish which voices should carry greater weight than other voices. But make no mistake about it. Nobody exists in a vacuum. Nobody is uninfluenced by the voices around them. There's all kinds of voices and those voices direct us in many ways and it's becoming increasingly difficult for many people to distinguish which ones should carry weight and which ones shouldn't. And there's a lot of reasons for that. There's certainly been an erosion of trust in our culture but for the experts or for the institutions and some of that erosion of trust is earned as you've seen leaders or politicians or people that have not had pure motives. Another reason why this difficulty occurs is that with the expansion of social media, this means that everybody now has the opportunity to present their thoughts, feelings, or opinions as facts with such a high level of confidence, despite the fact that they may or may not actually correspond with reality. <laughs> Another reason why it's becoming more and more difficult for people to rightly balance authoritative words is that there's a vast array of media outlets now that nearly 
always allows you to find someone who is speaking on something that you already agree with. And as a result, your beliefs or your thoughts are only further entrenched and ensconced. And this isn't necessarily authoritative in its nature. In fact, what it does is that it starts to crowd out the space where an authoritative word can come in and actually challenge your beliefs or your thoughts on any given subject. And so as a result, you're tempted to dismiss any word that doesn't already have a level of agreement attached to it by you. But here's the thing. One of the biggest choices that you are going to have to make in this life is what voice or voices will you allow to direct your path? One of the biggest choices that you're going to have to make in this life is will you trust God and his word as supreme because of who God is. And by supreme, I mean, will you trust God and his word as supreme over your thoughts, over your feelings, and even over your experiences? And if you do that, it will change your view on what is important in life. It will inform your decisions of how to live going forward. God's word will address your character. He will address your marriage. He will address your job. God's word will address your parenting. God's word will address your money. God is the ultimate authority. The question is, is will you follow him? When God speaks, we see a couple more dynamics. Because it is a word from God, not only is it authoritative, but it's also eternal and unchanging. Psalm 119.89 says, Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Isaiah chapter 40 says, The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. We also see that loving God means that you love his word. When you love something, you fixate on it. You think about it. You pursue it. And when you love someone, you think about them. You fixate on them. You pursue them. You delight when you are with the one that you love and when you're not, you do things like replay the conversations you've had, look at pictures on your phone, reread an old letter. You think about the things that you would have done differently the last time you were together and the things that you hope to do the next time you are together. And the same is true in some ways with God. Psalm 119 contains 176 verses regarding the incredible nature of God's word. And it points to the fact that loving God means loving his word. And loving his word points you to your love for God and God's love 
for you. And it's expressed in things like Psalm 119, 24 that says, your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. In verses 97 and 98 that said, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies. It is ever with me. Or verse 111 that says, Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. Or verse 159 that says, Consider how I love your precepts. Give me life according to your steadfast love. And so throughout the Old Testament, we see again and again and again and again, if you want to know God and his love for you, then listen to, follow, and obey his word. If you want to know God and his love for you, then listen to, follow, and obey his word. As we move from the Old Testament to the New Testament, we see that God's word is expressed even more profoundly. Yes, God speaks, he reveals, it's authoritative in its nature. God acts through his word. It changes our lives and our love. And we see when we get to the New Testament that Jesus is expressed as the living word of God. That might seem in some ways a little odd to us to call a person the word. But if God's word is really the revelation of who he is, if he is revealing himself to us, then the greatest way that he can reveal himself to us is through being with us, to show us his character and his plan, and it comes in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. John chapter one, verses one and two, and verse 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So God shows us, he reveals to us, his love for us as Jesus leaves the glory of heaven for the sinfulness of earth. God shows or reveals his love for us by this word, Jesus, as he preaches grace and truth to sinful human beings like me and you, and he calls people from all stations of life to believe in him and receive eternal life. And God reveals his plan to us and he shows his love for us. And this word, Jesus, lived a perfect life, died a horrible death, rose from the dead, paid the penalty for your sins and mine so that we might be alive to God and live with him forever. This means that Jesus, the living word of God, and the gospel, the good news that he preaches for the forgiveness of sins, are part of the proclamation of who God himself is at the core. 
And if you want to know him, then you need to know Jesus. If you want to know him, if you want to know his love for you, then listen to and follow and obey his word. We see in the New Testament that the Bible, as it is being formed, becomes the written word of God. Jesus is the living word. The law and the prophets and the writings of the Old Testament are accepted as scripture, the written word of God, and the New Testament that is being written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is also to be recognized as the word of God. In fact, the New Testament writers quoted the Old Testament approximately 250 times and alluded to it over 900 times. The word scripture is used 51 times in the New Testament, every time referring to the Old Testament. Two occurrences we see of the New Testament writers recognizing other New Testament works as part of Christian scripture or the word of God. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 16, Paul refers, or refers to Paul's writings and classifies it with other scriptures or the word of God. 1 Timothy 5, 8, Paul quotes Luke chapter 10, verse 7. He calls it scripture or the word of God. People everywhere are looking for God. They long for God. They desire to hear from God. I love the old story. It's one of my favorites of the two little boys ages four and six who were excessively mischievous. And they were always getting into trouble and their parents knew that there was any problems in town. It was probably the result of their two children. The boy's mother had heard that the local minister in town had been very successful in disciplining children. And so she asked if he would speak with her boys. Don't get any ideas. <laughs> the preacher agreed, but he asked to see them individually. And so the mother sent the four-year-old boy in the morning and the six-year-old boy was to come later in the afternoon. And as the boy four years old, sat down in the office of the preacher who was a huge man with a deep, booming voice. He asked the young lad sternly, do you know where God is, son? And the boy's mouth dropped wide open. But he made no response, and he sat there wide-eyed. And so the preacher repeated the question in an even sterner tone. Where is God? And again, the, ba the boy made no attempt to answer. And so the preacher raised his voice even more and he shook his finger in the boy's face and he said, where is God? And the boy screamed and he jumped up out of the chair and he ran out of the office and he ran all the way down the street to his house and he threw open the front door and he ran upstairs and he dove into the back of his closet and he hid. When the older brother found him, he said, what happened? And the four-year-old gasped for breath and he replied, we're in big trouble this time. God is missing. <laughs> and they think we did it. People want direction from God. 
They want to know where he is. They want to know what he says. And here, in the Bible, you have his written word. He reveals himself to you. He points you to Jesus in it. He gives you new life through it. He instills hope in you because of it. And he gives you wisdom for the rest of the days of your life. If you want to know God, if you want to know what his love is for you, then listen to, follow, and obey his word. I want to close this morning, as we do often in the messages in this series, with a series of implications or applications for you. And all of these implications are coming directly from the scripture and they can be under the category of sufficiency. That the word of God is sufficient for everything you need for life and godliness in these days. And I'll move very quickly. The word of God is true. John 17, 17 says, Jesus says, sanctify them in the truth the truth, what is real, what is right, what is good, what is true. Your word, Jesus says, is truth. The word of God is sufficient for you to please God. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to your children forever. That we may do all of the words of this law. The word of God is living and active. Hebrews 4.12 says, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of the spirit and of joints and of marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word of God is useful. 2 Timothy 2, 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching and reproof and correction and training for righteousness so that the man of God may be complete. Nobody wants to be incomplete. You want to be complete. The word of God helps you in that regard, equipped for every good work. The word of God brings about salvation Romans 10, 17 says that faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. 2 Timothy 3, 14 and 15. But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. The word of God shows the magnitude of God's ways. If you're anything like me, you're tempted to minimize how great the works of God really are because we live in an incredibly self-sufficient time. But Isaiah 55, 9 says, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So if you are seeking God, look to his word. If you want the ministry of the Holy Spirit of God in your life, go to his word, which the Spirit inspired 
and the Spirit illumines, opens your eyes and allows to see and experience it. If you want to see God, you need not look to a religious icon or a piece of classic art. You certainly don't want to look in the mirror. Though you are an image bearer, you are not God. If you want to really see God, you look to the one who reveals God the Father, the living word, Jesus Christ, who is in the image of God and is one with the Father. And if you want guidance for life, you have to decide which voices you're going to listen to because there is a pantheon of them. If you want guidance for life, then read or listen to or access this word of God. But you need to have the right expectations. Sometimes reading the Bible or listening to it is like drinking from a fire hose. It's all you can do to just swallow and breathe because it's that intense. But other times, reading the word of God is like sitting in a bathtub with a slow and dripping faucet. And you might not feel like you are being cleansed immediately. But as you sit there longer, or as the rhythm or the pattern of your life accesses the Lord's word again and again and again, you are indeed changed. If you want to know God, and his love for you, then listen to and follow and obey his word. You know, words are powerful. And certain types of words can change a person and their destiny. And certain people, and I think all of us in some way or another, want powerful words to point us to some sort of immortality. That was the title of an eBay auction from September of 2005. The title read, Let Stephen King Kill You in His Upcoming Book. And the auction was created by a nonprofit organization called the First Amendment Project, and it made some very big claims. Here's your chance to be immortalized in literary history. Bid on a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to be a character in an upcoming book by Stephen King. What could be a better gift for his ultimate fan? Be immortalized by dying in a book. The auction ended after 76 bids, with the winner agreeing to pay $25,100 for the chance to see his name printed in black and white. Other notable authors offered their services as well. One bidder paying $12,100 for a chance to appear in a John Grisham novel and another paying $6,350 in order to be included as an utterance in Lemony Snicket's upcoming book, The 13th. These bidders would probably be surprised to learn that another author had been offering them both immortality and inclusion in his literary masterpiece 
for almost 2,000 years. The author's name is Jesus Christ. The word made flesh. And these words really do have the power for true immortality because his novel is called The Book of Life. And he offers to put your name in it for free. If you want to know God, if you want to know God's love for you, then listen to, obey, follow his word. Let's pray together. Father, we know that as we look to your word, there are many voices of time and culture and intellect that continue to encroach upon us. It is my most sincere prayer today that the loudest voice in the life of every person here is your voice. That you reveal to us, that you give us life through, that you give us wisdom for our days, that you give us hope for our future. Help us to know you better. We thank you for revealing yourself in your written word and in the living word, the Lord Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.